This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 13th of October 2021. And you know what we didn't do yesterday, Tegan? We didn't wish happy birthday to our producer, Will Ockenden, without whom this podcast would not have happened and would still not be happening. It'd be a bin fire at best or and, and non-existent at worst. Happy birthday, Will. Yeah, happy birthday, Will. Well, speaking of Will, who is based in Tasmania, and yesterday the Tasmanian Premier was starting to drop some hints about what their reopening plan might look like. And it got me thinking about these states that have virtually no vi- or no virus in them at the moment and they're heading towards really high vaccination levels which is a bit different to what we're watching play out at the moment in states like New South Wales, Victoria and the ACT where there's high vaccination rates but there's also relatively high rates of the virus itself and I'm wondering Norman like when these when these states do open up and the virus inevitably comes in what kind of case numbers should we be preparing ourselves for in this sort of shift towards covid normal so Tasmania is saying maybe what they'll do is you've got to be have a negative test and you've got to be fully vaccinated before we let you in. And that's going to reduce the risk hugely in terms of people coming in with the virus, but not completely. Let's assume that there are no controls. So there's no contact tracing, no testing. So somebody arrives off the plane with COVID-19. It's, very, it's hard to predict because one person could get off the plane in Launceston. They could go and visit their mum and dad. Um, they don't go out very much and then they go home and their mum and dad, they haven't got a very big family and they go home on the plane and all they've done and their mother and their elderly mum and dad are vaccinated. They don't spread it to anybody and then they go home. Um, A young person could get off the plane with lots of friends in Tasmania or Perth or Adelaide and they go out and party and they're quite and they're really at peak infection when they do that and you get a major spreading event and then it's off and running. Then you could have or you could have a dozen people getting off planes in Launceston and Hobart all at the same time. And then you've got multiple spot fires all over Hobart and Launceston, in which case it will go nuts albeit in a, in a highly vaccinated population, there will still be significant numbers of people who are unvaccinated in whom it can spread. And it will spread within vaccinated people as well, even though they won't get sick. So all those variables apply. And eventually somebody will get off a plane who is going to be a, going to a super spreading event, who's got a lot of virus on board. So it's going to happen eventually. And the way it will it will go, you've seen it the way it works in Victoria and in New South Wales, you will get exponential growth, but it will be slow, slower exponential growth than you saw in those states because you've got very high levels of vaccination. So you're going to see a steady growth. It's not as if you're going to have two cases one day and 500 a week later. It's going to be more very, very slow, steady growth. And eventually it will go into a a bit bit faster exponential growth, but there are going to be limits to that. Now you add in a layer of controls, which is having and having those controls ready to go and in action before you open your borders rather than afterwards, which might be that we uh, insist in these states that you wear masks indoors and you start that back before you open borders, where you encourage people to increase testing rates, where you put fear in their hearts about opening up to get to the highest possible vaccination levels. 
And if you can get controls in so that you've got contact tracing, you've got testing, you've got contact tracing, you've got some degree of isolation for the fully vaccinated and the unvaccinated, then you will mitigate the rise in cases. And then you really what, what you want to watch is your hospitalization rate. But if the overall numbers stay slow and they grow slowly, the hospitals will be able to cope and not that many people will become sick. And so are we, is what you're saying that there will be some places where we've actually been living with quite high levels of freedom that will become a bit more restrictive as we reopen to, to just throttle that risk as the virus maybe comes in? That's one way of going so that you don't get rapid growth in cases. You could decide, well, you're just going to let them in and you're going to let it grow and you'll only put on significant uh, controls when you see what the case numbers are going to do. Because if you can get to 90%, 12 years old and above, that's going to be pretty good coverage and you're not going to get a very rapid escalation of hospitalizations, at least if you go by the, Dan- the Danish experience, for example. And even in Britain, where they've got extraordinary numbers, they're still getting 30,000 cases a day. The hospitalization numbers are really quite low in the UK and they opened up suddenly with a lot of virus around. And they still don't have 90% of 12 years old and above in the UK. We're actually getting a couple of questions from people about what happens for people who are double vaccinated. Gilda's wanting a bit of a reminder on when to get tested. If you've been double vaxxed, but we were saying earlier this week that eventually everyone's going to encounter this virus, if you feel a bit unwell, what should you be doing? Well, at the moment, you should get PCR tested. It may get to the point where we do rapid antigen tests at home. The trouble is just one rapid antigen test at home is only 80% accurate. If you do one every two or three days, then that gets to be almost 100% accurate at identifying whether or not you're infectious. But, it's, but PCR testing is still the core way we control this pandemic in a public health sense. And Sam's saying we've talked a bit about how it sucks to catch COVID if you're fully vaccinated, but probably you're not going to be very, very sick. But he's asking about the risk of getting long COVID. It looks as though in fully vaccinated people, the risks are very much lower of getting long COVID. That, that has not been well researched, but the preliminary look at this has been that it is lower. And Kirsten, just on risks, is asking about can we clarify the best understanding of the risk of hospitalisation, death, dying, long COVID risk for children under 12? So it's quite hard sometimes to get the accurate data on the risk on the rate of hospitalisation in children because often in children you're hospitalised for social reasons because the the virus is travelling in families and there's nobody to look after the child, so they come in for you know, in a, a nice protective environment. Oh, so even though they're not so sick themselves, they're there because they need to be cared for. That's right. So the hospitalisation rate in children in New South Wales during the outbreak has been about 2%, but not all of those, all, all of those kids actually needed to be in hospital. How does that compare to the rate for adults? Well, the, the, this is a great success story. So when the outbreak started in New South Wales and Victoria, the hospitalisation rate was 11 or 12%, and now it's down at 5% or even lower. And the ICU rate is, 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 is even lower, you know, is, is, has dropped even more proportionately than the hospitalisation rate. So this is a, a huge success. So some people say that the true rate of hospitalisation in children is probably more like 1%, so that's about a, a fifth of that in adults, and it's an even lower risk of them ending up in ICU and a very, very low risk of dying. And the long COVID risk is, again, a controversial number. Um, in adults, it's 30 to 50% probably. In children, maybe 7 or 8%. Um, the sort of numbers I've seen. So, I mean, no one wants their kid sick 
uh, we want to protect our children, but it does sound like, you know, when we, we keep hearing that the risk for under 12s is very low, it really is significantly lower than it, than it is the risk that this disease causes to adults. Yes. And when I, when I did um, an interview with an expert in Denmark uh, a week or so ago, they were actually pretty re- relaxed about the children's situation and really hadn't seen many problems. You know, they did have some children in ICU, but not very many. It really wasn't a major problem for them. Where it's been a problem has been in the United States and the southern states, where you've really had a lot of virus running and you've had a lot of children infected. And therefore, the, even though it's rarer, you've had more kids flowing through to the system. But at the sort of level New South Wales has, which is four or 500 cases a day, which is around about Denmark, there's going to be very few children ending up in ICU. Although... The one caveat in what I'm saying here is that even though the numbers say in New South Wales are four or 500, increasingly it is in that younger age group. And so you can't be blasé about this. This is, it's not a zero risk, but it's very, very small. Meanwhile, the population that we know is at higher risk of severe COVID is Indigenous people, First Nations people. And our ABC's Indigenous Affairs editor was making the point yesterday on Twitter that we've got outbreaks in lots of different mobs right now. And Bridget Brennan was saying it's staggering that there are no blackfellas up there in state press conferences speaking alongside local health authorities and COVID commanders. Is this something that we could be doing to improve uptake rates in Indigenous communities, Norman? Absolutely. But it's also got to be on the outlets that Aboriginal communities watch. And it's not necessarily the ABC. It's got to be on commercial television, NITV and other areas. So you've, got, you've actually got to target Aboriginal communities with the media that they watch. Um, but yes, seeing your own mob is a very important part of influencing communities. But there are plenty of elders around who are very frustrated at the moment because they reckon the kids aren't listening to them. So it's role models as well. But this is what pandemics do. They create fractures in communities along the lines of disadvantage. And it's relatively easy for um, this to be an invisible problem. And the more visible it is, the better. Well, if you've got thoughts about that or anything else or questions, head to abc.net.au slash coronacast. Leave your thoughts there and we'll get to them in a future episode. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then.